Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, we will break down Florida's 72-63 come-from-behind victory over Ole Miss. We'll also preview Florida's trip to start Vegas, play the Miss State Bulldogs, who uh, lost a heartbreaker last night to Texas A&M. Never really know if it's good to play a team coming off a heartbreaking loss or, or bad. Sometimes I feel like that's not as good a scenario, um, but but certainly Miss State is a big and physical team, kind of team that's given Florida some problems, but also a team that, that can be defensively challenged at times, which is a kind of team that, at least early in the season, it looked like Florida was going to punish. Uh, so it'll be an interesting matchup, an important game for the Gators with Tennessee uh, lurking at the beginning of, of next week. Eric Fawcett and I will break it all down. Remember to give us ratings on uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Uh, give us a heart on Spotify. All those things help us with placement, help us uh, earn sponsorship so that we can keep this show um, going for all of you guys. We appreciate you. Uh, we're so grateful that, that you listen, and, and um, you know we certainly value your feedback and input. Um, so enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. A happier podcast on this Wednesday as we record on a Wednesday. Florida uh, bounces back last night, defeats Ole Miss at home, 72-63, Eric. Yeah, definitely a happier podcast, and uh, I was pretty concerned going into this one. I thought that Florida uh, didn't match up with Ole Miss particularly well, and then, of course, when the news came down that that Scotty Lewis was going to be unable to play, uh, I thought that could be a death blow. Um, and, and something that I, I tweeted about that I, I got some uh, some negative response to uh, was pointing out that, that Scotty Lewis, um, in terms of net rating differential on or off the floor, uh, he leads the Gators right now, which is uh, uh, in terms of the Gators have a plus 10 net rating with him on the floor and a minus 15 net rating with him off the floor. Uh, and that uh, that differential of 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 plus 25 is, is higher than uh, higher than anyone else on the Gators. So uh, while I've had my my criticisms of, of Scotty Lewis this year, um, I do think it's worth noting that that he is a valuable piece, especially when the Gators go from having um, him on the floor at the three from a defensive standpoint to, to putting Noah Locke there. So so I thought this was this was going to be a tough one for the Gators. And for a lot of it, it looked like it was. But man, what a what a rally at the end to, uh, to bring it back. Yeah, it was a great rally, um, you know, and sometimes you just need a player to, to take over a game, maybe one player, maybe two players. But uh, that was another thing that I was concerned a little bit about Florida mentally without Lewis, too, because I think Scotty is quite clearly one of the leaders on the team. And in the absence of Keontae Johnson, we've talked about his leadership on the floor that you you the cool thing about. One of the only cool things about empty arenas in college basketball is we can hear kids and you constantly hear Scotty. I was a little worried about that, Eric, something you and I have discussed, but, but Colin Castleton puts the team more or less on his back. I thought from an emotional standpoint and obviously from a basketball standpoint last night with one of the better performances by a Florida big, not just this season, but in the last couple decades. It really was. And I mean, something you just said there, Neil, was sometimes you have one or two guys step up. And uh, while I'm not suggesting that Colin Castleton played, you know, so well, it was like as if two players were stepping up, but often it's one player steps up on the offensive side and one player steps up on the defensive side. And in this case, uh, it was both with Colin Castleton. Uh, It's crazy to think with eight blocks, many of them that were uh, good looks at the rim. Uh, I mean, how many points did he erase with eight blocks? I mean, I think you've got to reasonably look at, um, you know, like if you think about shots at the rim, um, eight shots at the rim is probably going to net you uh, 11 or 12 or 13 points from an expected um, shot value uh, kind of way to look at it. So, I mean, that that's that it could it's it's reasonable to say that Colin Castleton saved double digit points with his shot blocking. Um, and then you add offensively uh, the the efficiency played with the way that he got buckets when Florida really needed one. Uh, and especially when there was not a lot of other players going, he, he just got the ball in the post and just willed himself to the rim and then finished above everyone else. So, so th- th- that's, that's one thing is sometimes you see guys stepping up defensively. Sometimes you see them stepping up offensively. Uh, you don't often see them 
do both. So, uh, man, that was just an incredible performance. Yeah, it was, it was, that's a great point about offense and defense and, and the eight blocks, the most, uh, the second most for a Gator all time ties, uh, Joe Kim Noah had a career high of eight, I think in 2006, uh, which gives you an idea of, of the kind of company that Castleton is keeping in a game like that. And so, you know, after a show where we were very, very hard on Florida's scheme, and I think uh, Eric said it well, I'd also like to point out that it seemed like, uh, at least to this coach, that Florida did a really nice job schematically kind of funneling things towards Anthony DeRuji and Colin Castleton down low on Ole Miss's straight line drives and a little bit better in the pick and roll as well. Yeah, I thought that the way that Ole Miss kind of spaced the floor without someone in the dunker spot, uh, they it, it kind of allowed Colin Castleton to go and block shots without there being uh, fear of uh, giving up an offensive rebound or giving up uh, a, a drop off pass. And, and honestly, the biggest uh, uh, the biggest example of that was uh, was of course the I, I think the last block of the game where he slapped it off the backboard and ended up uh, Tyree Appleby racing up the floor pitching it to, to Noah Locke and hit that big three that just, you know, took the roof off the place and had the Odom sounding like it was, uh, you know, 10,000 plus instead of 1500 or, or whatever it was, uh, which was awesome. Uh, but that, but that block was, was again, because, because of the way that where, where Ole Miss was facing the floor, where their five man was, uh, Colin Castle can, could just leave. He had no fear of a drop off pass and he was able to just go pursue the ball. And um, obviously with his, uh, with his like seven foot three or seven foot four wingspan with his, uh, with his timing, he was able to just reject it. Uh, so I thought that was, uh, that worked really well. And um, there was also times too, where I did think that some of Florida's perimeter defenders just um, were, were just good enough. And um, I forget who was like, again, let's go back to that play. I think that was Trey Mann guarding the ball. I don't totally remember, but there was times with, with Trey Mann and also, and also Noah Locke where uh, again, it's not like they needed to 100% lock down their man. They just needed to slow him down enough that a help defender could get there. In this case, it was Castleton and he was blocking everything. And again, on that last play, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Trey man got beat. It wasn't like he totally locked down his guy either, but he was able to just stay on him, stay on his hip, slow him down enough that when he put up the shot, Colin Castleton was right there. So, so definitely, uh, definitely thought that, uh, that Florida's defensive game plan, uh, worked out. Um, and I definitely think that, um, Definitely think that some of Florida's uh, perimeter defenders, which had been struggling recently, I uh, definitely thought some of those guys stepped up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it was it's just an interesting way of like I, I did think Florida they switched a little bit less, and again, you know, I think another thing that happened that that certainly happened is, you know, Florida was a little bit more content to give up kind of baseline drives, uh, and when dribble penetration occurred in the middle. Um, there was a lot more like converge on on that sort of penetration and funnel it towards one of the bigs. And you're right that that it was an interesting way that Ole Miss faced the floor. But I think some of it was also the way that schematically Florida provided help. Um, and I thought that, that was much, much better uh, than than it has been from from a schematic standpoint, because I think, you know, we do a disservice because we've been hard on Anthony Derigi and his defense. I thought. It was the best game he's played defensively too, and really, if you take away the the fact that you know in the second half Ole Miss made five step back jump shots, only two of which were by uh, a shooter shooting over forty percent on the season, Eric. Um, you know, it was really Florida's best defensive effort of the year. Now, granted, uh, at least to me, uh, granted, I think. Ole Miss, probably the worst offensive team from an efficiency standpoint that Florida's played in the SEC. But to deliver that performance without, you know, the guy that everybody always says is your best defender, although you, you guys listen to the podcast, you know what Eric and I think about that theory. Uh, very good. Yeah, and the other thing, um, as you were talking about help from the baseline, that was also definitely a schematic change with how Florida wanted to double team in the post, uh, which I thought was really smart. And you could see when they uh, when they threw the, when Ole Miss threw the ball into the post, um, Florida's bigs, um, usually Colin Castleton, were totally taking away the middle of the floor, and then they were trusting that help would come from the opposite weak side baseline for a double team. And a couple times that turned into fouls where uh, where someone like uh, like Tyree Appleby or, or Trey Mann had to come over. And this this is also 
I mean, I'm laughing at this, but but poor Trey, man, he's just gotten smoked in the face. I feel like every game, and uh, this is what happens. I mean, this is a kind of man defense thing. My teams always run in the high school team I coach, where yeah, you you send help, you send a double team to those post ups from the opposite baseline, and that usually means it's a guard. And uh, when you have your big man giving the baseline, knowing that the help is going to be there, usually you have like an aggressive spin from the post player with the ball, usually with his elbows at the height of uh, of the guard that's coming to double and uh, there was there's two times where, where Trey Mann um sporting stitches above his eye already just got totally cold cocked in the face so uh but hey he he went over there and helped and uh once again showing toughness but that was another thing that Florida did obviously um differently from a schematic standpoint um was sending those doubles and sending it so obviously yeah. from the baseline and, and and especially when you think about a player like a right-handed post player catching it on the right block where they can do you know take two or three dribbles to their left and then take a baby hook with their right hand, just, you know, the shot that every post player wants to take. Uh, Florida was having some trouble guarding that against against Alabama and had some trouble against uh, the bigs at Kentucky. And, and I thought that was a good adjustment to just say, like, no, we're, we're not going to let right-handed big men take two dribbles to their left and take right-handed baby hooks. Um, so by playing it the way they did, um, yeah, they just totally took away that shot. Um, kind of challenged Ole Miss to, uh, to do something off the ball and and maybe create an open shooter. And and yeah, I just don't really feel like Ole Miss punched them. So so good for Florida um, for sticking to it. And uh, and I'd have to agree with you, Neil. I, I would say this was the best defensive effort so far. Yeah, I mean, I just, on the straight line drives in particular, you know, they definitely eliminated the direct line a little bit more, Eric. Like they made ball handers, particularly Devontae Shuler, who can be devastating downhill, like, as best as they could, I think, with the talent they have, they kind of forced wide angles, uh, forced players, you know, and, and they were okay, I guess, giving up some baseline drives. Like I think, you know, maybe like Chris Beard might have, you know, been been kind of proud of of what Florida was doing a little bit because they were like, you know, whatever, we're gonna get in front of you if you're dribble penetrating through the middle, and and that's just how it's gonna happen today. And if you Move the ball and beat us baseline, that's fine. But we're going to make you take wide angles. And they did that. And and I do think uh, you're being they, – they also aggressively attacked that penetration and, and the way that they doubled schematically. I just, I just thought – I was impressed with Florida's defense yesterday. And I think that it's a big reason why while their offense seems so bogged down, particularly in the first half when Trey Mann picked up his second foul, Florida was able to just kind of hang in there and, and leave the door open. Yeah, they. That's kind of the, the. It was a little bit of bend but don't break for for a lot of it. Even though like the feel of the game definitely made it. Uh, I, I would say it definitely felt worse than it actually was. Like the deficit was never never that that large, um, but it, there there was times that it felt like felt like more than it was. Of course, um, uh, it got to nine. I believe was the largest the largest lead for yeah. the miss with like seven or eight minutes left or something like that. Um, it Six kind of felt like it was. But uh, but yeah, Florida, Florida hung around. But you know what? Like, uh, I, I'm sure we're gonna get to this. Maybe I'm jumping the queue here. But I actually like what Florida did a lot offensively, and even in the first half, I thought that they looked. Um, okay, well, first of all, I would say the overarching theme is I, I thought they ran more sets and more called plays than I can mm-hmm. ever remember. Mm-hmm. Um, which was definitely a huge departure from from what they've been doing the last couple of games. Um, and I, I really liked it. And I thought they ran some pretty good stuff. And I thought they added a few things to the playbook that we haven't seen before. Like I, I tweeted about it and I, I laughed about it and texted you about it, Neil. Because um, the play was an absolute disaster. But Florida <laughs> ran an elevator screen for Noah Locke. And what an elevator screen is, very simply put, um, it's uh, it's two players um, setting sc- setting a screen for a shooter to run between them. Uh, and then kind of like, you know, two saloon doors swinging open, they swing open so that the shooter can run through and then they close just in time to like squeeze out the, the, the shooter's defender. And then hopefully you get a wide open, a wide open three. Um, what happened was Daruji, uh, closed a little bit too quickly as one of the saloon doors, uh, tripped Noah Locke and then, uh, Colin Castle kind of had to lean in and, uh, and ended up taking an offensive foul. So it just ended up with a bunch of dudes on the floor and an offensive foul for the, for the Gators. Um, but man, one of the things we've 
always been calling for is like we should be running more uh, like the Gators should be running more 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 off ball actions for no lock to get shots and uh they definitely added something something to their playbook because they did run an elevator screen for no lock and while that play ended up as just disaster um I kind of liked that they were running it and I liked that they went back to their Princeton action and they got two buckets off off the pinch post where they throw it into the high post uh run over top of them their defender has to chase and Colin Castleton laid it in there a couple of times for for layups um and I they, they ran a Spain screen where a couple of Spain screens and that's where uh, a shooter usually um so you've got like your four or five men setting a pick and a pick and roll and then a shooter comes from the baseline and sets a sets a down screen for the for the roll man and then pops up to the three-point line so sometimes you have a lob sometimes it frees open the shooter and 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 once again it's just uh we saw a whole lot of Florida's playbook and while it was a it wasn't the most crisp I I I liked seeing it to be honest yeah, that's interesting. I thought I did think Florida played uh, played well. And another thing that they did, you, you mentioned, um, you know, running more sets and more Princeton's. The other thing they did is they kind of inverted the pick and rolls again. I mean, there was there were a couple of really nice passes. Uh, you know, we keep coming back to Colin Castleton, <laughs> but uh, Florida had a couple of really nice plays in the pick and roll with the big um, making the pass, including a huge basket that the team really needed it's hard to think of a game where you ended up down nine in the second half as having a huge first half basket. But I thought Quest Glover's four points uh, were really big and two of them came out of a gorgeous uh, inverted pick and roll play. Yeah, I, I love seeing that. I, I just think uh, w- once again, like every team in the country that's practicing pick and roll defense, it's all structured around uh, usually a, a one guard with the ball in their hands and the five man screening for it. So when you run a one, five pick and roll, that is like the most prepared a, t- a team can be to guard it. So, so to see like Noah Locke setting screens for, for Trey man, um, that, that is involved. Like, again, if you're, if you're a five man, if you are, uh, you know, like Colin Castleton or you're, um, uh, you know, Kadeem C or, you know, if you're a, you're a traditional five man, um, you are used to being to guarding a screener and pick and roll. Um, if you are, um, guarding Noah Locke, you're and he's setting a screen. You are probably not a very seasoned pick and roll screen defender. So, so I I just love to see that. And and um, if nothing else, you you get uh, uh, you can get some different switches that uh, uh, that are usually beneficial. Or um, hey, if you're again when you involve some players that are not used to guarding screen and roll and screen and roll defense, that's how you lose a Noah Locke where he sets a screen and, and pops mm-hmm. off it. So so yeah, again, it was just like. I just felt like Florida threw the kitchen sink out like offensively. And, um, and I really liked it. I didn't think everything was super crisp, um, which, Hey, coming off the games where they didn't run much and, and went to so much isolation and their, I guess, dribble drive motion. I, whatever you'd, you'd want to call it. Um, uh, it's, you, dev, you know, certainly seemed like they, it was something they hadn't done as much, but, but overall, even in, even in the first half, I was like, well, I, I, I kind of thought that they were onto something. And then uh, of course, at the end of the game, it ended up really working. So uh, chalk me up to being happy about that offensive switch. Yeah, it was better. Uh, you know, I think obviously, certainly Florida, I'd love to see, I say obviously and certainly, and, and Eric's the one that probably has the numbers, but I felt like, you know, certainly some stagnation with, uh, with man off the floor, um, better with Trey in the game. Uh, and I think we'd be remiss, I guess, talking about this basketball game without mentioning uh, Trey Mann, who I looked up um, at the scoreboard inside the, the arena last night, and I saw, I think it was around the eight minutes left in the – Second half, Florida's down by four or five. It hadn't ballooned to nine yet. But I saw a man had seven points and three fouls. And, you know, I I remember thinking, gosh, Florida just, like, Trey's playing fine. But, uh, you know, we just need a little more from him offensively. And then he explodes for for 10 of, uh, of Florida's points down the stretch as well, kind of quietly. Obviously, there was Kermit Davis calling the referee's mom an astronaut, but uh, that that added a couple to him. But but I mean, um, one incredible drive by Trey with the left-handed finish as well, huge bucket. 
That was so nice. And, and, and again, I know that, you know, Trey Mann was quiet, but uh, I would say, hey, if Florida's running the, the going back to the Princeton, it means the ball should hypothetically be, be less in his hands. And it's funny because they're running some of the same offense that they ran last year and the ball stuck in, in Nemhard's hands um, often for too long. And uh, the fact that uh, the fact that we look at it and say, oh, they're running that same stuff and like Trey Mann is quiet. It's kind of the opposite situation where he was able to get the ball into into Castleton to initiate the offense. So uh, so I thought this, you know, Florida's offensive game plan just wasn't wasn't as much what it has been these last few games where it has been yep. so much isolation for Trey Mann. So so I didn't really see a see a problem with uh, um, with the way he played. Um, and then obviously uh, he did have those moments of, of hitting some some big shots. And um, again, this was a game where Florida did not um, run very much. They did not not play much in transition they had 10 total um possessions in in transition um which yielded them eight points um not great uh something that is is actually pretty crazy in in ken palm um i forget what their average I, I forget what their uh what they went in uh from uh average possession like i think there was like top 30 now they're now they're 60th in average possession length so they have very much dropped uh, the last two games um so it it's the, the fact of the matter is that it will definitely give Trey Mann a little bit less opportunities if they're not running. Um, but uh, hey, the half court offense looked uh, looked a little bit you know, well. I, I would say looked a lot better, though. At the same time, they, they still like were so sloppy with the, with the, some of their execution. Um, but hey, the fact that they ended up being you know relatively efficient, playing sloppy half court offense, playing sloppy transition offense. Well, we saw last year they could run really good half court offense, and we saw earlier this season um, they could run really good transition offense. So you're kind of seeing some of the uh, some building blocks there for how this team could could score the ball really well. Yeah, it's the versatility that Mike White talked about before the season that that you're seeing, and I I think we should also point out um, that that they did it against a team that's very good defensively. Yeah, definitely. I, I as much as uh, I I think that people you know looked at some of Florida's scoring droughts and said like, oh, there's you know there's Florida with another scoring drought, um, something that has been a problem the last couple of years. Um, I I, I kind of looked at it and just thought, hey, this is a uh, this is a team that is coached very, very well, I think, by Kermit Davis, um, and they've got some some good pieces defensively. Um, and uh, I, for, I, again, I don't remember what what Ole Miss came into the game with, um, but they after the game with Florida, they were fifteenth in adjusted uh, defensive efficiency on Ken Palm, and that's after Florida had a fairly efficient game. So, I mean, man, they like they lost to LSU. But they uh, they kind of held them in check with their with their defense. Um, for a lot of the game with Alabama, they held them in check defensively uh, against Dayton, who's had some really good offensive games earlier. Um, Ole Miss kept kept them in the game with their defense. So I, so I do think Ole Miss is a really really good defensive team, and uh, yeah, that that shouldn't be forgotten when you look at the fact that Florida you know had a pretty good offensive night. Yeah, I mean Ole Miss uh, in the top twenty in in defensive uh, efficiency in Ken Palm. Uh, and in the top 10 uh, in Bartorovic, which, as Eric has pointed out on the podcast, eliminates the baked-in numbers from the previous season. So you're talking about one of the better defensive basketball teams in the country. And I'm always impressed by the way that Kermit Davis's teams adjust and switch defenses. And I do think you have to give them some credit for that um, and, and for building out the lead that way, that, that they certainly had Florida frustrated, but gets me to a larger point about, you know, Mike White and timeout usage last night had to make you smile, Eric. <laughs> uh, it, it did. It, it, it very much did. I mean, it, there's a time where th- the way that that game was going that, you know, White would have held on to two timeouts um, right up until the till the end. Um, hoping that if the game was really close, that he would have both timeouts in the back pocket. Um, but that was uh, that was not the case, Neil. Uh, you you t- you texted me to remind it to, yeah. to remind me what was going on. So uh, do you want to recount what uh, what White was doing there? Well, I mean, Mike used his timeouts uh, in the fir- in the second half. I, he first, I was pleased that he did the use it or lose it instead of losing it. I mean, it didn't work, but uh, you know, I, I actually thought that was a really well defended play. I think Florida got the ball to Resensev in a spot they wanted. You might disagree with me, but that's a pretty good spot for a shooter. And I thought Ole Miss just rotated to it really well, and a guy went you know, through the screen. So they, they ran a nice set, and Resensev got stuck and, and you know kind of put off an off-balance shot guarded when he should have tried to make one more pass. They had the time. 
So that's at the end of the first half. That was use it or lose it. But I thought, good timeout. You know, it's not cell phone minutes. It's not carrying over. Let's do it. And then he uses multiple timeouts to kind of keep the game in check. And I also thought this is something I just noticed in the building. Like there were a couple times where Florida's energy sagged a little bit uh, on the bench when, you know, those step back, backbreaking jump shots went in and stuff. And Mike took one timeout after one of those. And then there was another session where uh, Ole Miss hits one of those to make it 59-52, like a step back three. I think it was Jerkel Joyner. Um, and then they get a layup real quick on the other end, go up nine. That's with 6.30 to go, and Mike takes a timeout immediately. As, I mean, the layup was going through the hoop while Mike <laughs> was out on the floor calling the timeout. And I was impressed. I was like, all right, you know, this is fine. He's going to have the one left, but he called it here, I think, to calm the team down and say, look, there's 6.30 to play. You know, and I, I think you're right, Eric. I think he felt he probably is watching and saying, we're running good stuff. You know, let's see, let's see if we can claw our way back into this thing. We just saw Ole Miss eliminate an 11-point deficit in the first half in five minutes. We have six and a half. Let's go. And Florida goes on a 20-2 to two run uh, down the stretch after that Mike White timeout. Yeah, I I think that uh, well, obviously, first of all, timeouts. Um, I definitely loved it. I mean, there's just nothing that I shouldn't say nothing. I've got I've got so many basketball pet peeves. Um, but one of them is uh, one of them is you know a, a coach holding on to their timeouts. Um, in like a, in a game that's slipping away on the like off chance that that somehow things correct themselves on their own and you get in a tight situation where you can then use your timeouts and that that just happened far too much these last couple of years where there was games like this that were slipping away Florida had two timeouts um and and you know White doesn't use any of them and Florida ends up losing the game by seven or eight with two timeouts in their pocket I mean right. that's just uh that that, that hurts so to see uh, to see White use it uh super effectively that that's awesome and I, I love to see that change. And, and obviously it wasn't just a timeout for them to catch their breath. There were some adjustments made. And, um, and at the same time, I was, I think too, I thought that Florida was kind of running some, some good stuff most of the game. And uh, it, it just wasn't, they weren't converting at the, the rate that I was expecting. And then kind of all at once in that run, uh, it was kind of uh it was kind of like a course correction after I thought that Florida probably deserved a better fate than, than where they're at just based on shots falling out or just, uh, you know, one missed rotation ending up in a, in an Ole Miss bucket or, you know, Ole Miss hitting tough step back jumpers. Uh, yeah, this was, this was just a little bit of like, okay, finally, like they, they, they stuck to it and they stuck to their guns and, and, and ultimately, um, ultimately ended up on a, on a super fun run that I, you know, I'm going to remember for some time because, uh, uh, from again, like kind of like a pure fan standpoint, that was, uh, that was about as fun of five minute stretch as I can remember in the, in the last little while. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really fun. And the other thing I'll say about, uh, last night before we move on to the weekend was, you know, we did, we've talked about, we've praised Castleton, we've praised man. Um, you know, I think you, you could, you could talk about Tyree Appleby playing super tough. We talked a little bit about Anthony Derugy being tough, a guy we've been kind of hard on uh, this season at times is Noah Locke. And, you know, I thought Noah gave incredible effort defensively last night. And then, you know, the play that Florida takes the lead on with the block and then the transition bucket with Appleby going the right the, down, down the court and, and Locke doing the perfect thing as the trailer and setting his feet so that, that he could make that three. And I, I felt so bad for him that he missed that the corner went in and out on the next possession because Noah <laughs> kind of, the way Noah was playing, he kind of deserved to like, the, you know, Oh, hello! I'm still here. Uh, three on the next possession, but it but it rattled out. But I'm sure Noah will take the W. Yeah, and 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 you you know that game was also a reminder talking about being hard on Noah Locke, which I certainly have been. That as much as I've been hard on on Noah Locke as a player, I I, I think some of that was a little bit unfair because again, I I think that that was a schematic problem with Florida, who was playing dribble drive who was expecting Noah Locke to make plays off the dribble. And then you go to, you go to the game against Ole Miss 
where it was in the Princeton or it was running Spain screens or, um, or, or this one really good set where, uh, uh, they ran a slice screen to get Colin Castleton a post up. And if it wasn't there, they ran Noah lock off, uh, off a wide pin down and, uh, for an opportunity for shot like that. The, I think schematically it was a position where Locke was going to catch the ball and shoot it. He was not going to have to dribble the ball and try to make a play one-on-one. So again, as, as much as, as much as I, you know, I've been tough on, on Noah Locke, I, I, I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it, the scheme has not been to his favor in, in some games where he has been in a position where uh, it's like, Hey, you catch the ball in a ball reversal, Noah Locke um, attack. You've got to make a play here. That's just not his game. And I thought, again, this is one of the benefits of if Florida is going to continue to call more sets and play thing, things a little more regimented, you can make sure that Noah Locke is only in a position where he is going to catch and shoot, um, not in a position where he has to be a, a playmaker. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I also thought Noah was, you know, a little bit more quick, a little bit. I still had, there were still a couple times where he drove in to the middle of the paint and held the ball way too long. And I was worried about everything possibly bad under the sun happening, but he did seem more quick to give up the ball rather than force things uh, on the inside. And I hope that that continues Uh, Saturday against Mississippi state, a team that you don't want to force things on the inside against. No, they uh, something that we alluded to in the the last podcast was on the fact that they're such a good offensive rebounding team uh, that has continued. Um, But they're also a team that is one of the best shot blocking teams in the country, which, uh, you know, makes sense. You got guys that can offensive rebound. They're they're often going to be uh, uh, often going to be great shot blockers and interior defense defenders as well. And and with Mississippi State, uh, man, they have like four guys in their rotation that are like their front court rotation that are like real intimidating front court figures, whether it's um, Abdul Adu, um, a player that uh, a senior that Florida's played a ton, uh, Quinton Post, uh, seven footer, um, to- Tolu Smith. He was like another like six eleven guy, Javian Davis, like six nine and like two fifty and really strong. Like uh, <laughs> they, they have their problems, but, uh, and their front courts, you know, outside of a do a little bit young, but man, they are, uh, they are a physical front court, whether it's, whether it's rebounding, whether it's blocking shots. Yeah. Abdul Adu had a really good game against Florida and Gainesville last year in, in Miss State's win over the Gators. Uh, one of those games that that Florida fans were really upset about, right? Um, and in a game that got away from Florida in the second half, one of those games where Florida had a big lead and and squandered it. And I thought a big reason that they did was Abdul Adu's ability to just dominate Florida on the glass, uh, along with with Reggie Perry. But um, you know, we need to talk about that. This is interesting to me. Ben Howland was going to take that. Mississippi State team to the NCAA tournament last year. They were uh, 20 and 10, I think. Uh, they were, they tied Florida for fourth place in the uh, SEC and ended up getting the double bye because of the tiebreaker with the win over the Gators. They were going to the tournament they were in in bracketology. Uh, it would have been their second straight bid under Howland, who had kind of a long rebuild there. Um, and uh, Scott Strickland hired him and said, hey, I'm going to give you the keys to this program. Go ahead and rebuild it. Howen now has 500 wins. He's won conference championships in three leagues, uh, and he's been coach of the year in multiple conferences. He's been the Naismith coach of the year. It's a guy that I think is a good basketball coach, but he's a throwback, Eric. They, like In this age of, of Nato's basketball, Jay Wright basketball, Ben Howen is still – Hey man, give me a four and a five. Give me Reggie Perry and Robert Woodard and let me go to battle, right? And and I think the big challenge for them this year was people were wondering, how do you replace two draft picks? Like Kentucky does it all the time. Uh Miss State now has has Perry, I think, is on the super team, right? In Brooklyn. <laughs> and and I don't I, I know somebody drafted Robert Woodard. I don't know where he is. The the, the Kings, maybe? Uh, that's that's more Eric's uh department. But I, I know he was <laughs> yeah, selected I, I, in the draft. So I, I, I want to say Kings too. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the point, the point is on my long winded rant, it was kind of like, well, you know, can they replace that? Because Howland really does need front court pieces uh, to, to have his best teams, his best teams at UCLA always had them. Well, the answer really appears to be a resounding yes, but 
kicking it back to Eric, what's impressed me is their guards, DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar, who are just shooting the lights out of the basket. Yeah, this is something uh, I I actually have like the most bizarre stat or I I shouldn't say this is the most bizarre stat. This is one of the most bizarre stats I've I've seen. And uh, it's going to be interesting to very, very few people, but hopefully uh, most of them are on this podcast. But if you look at their play calling uh, or if you look, yeah, if you look at their offensive possessions um, broken down into to all the different types, which is, uh, again, something that I reference often with, you know, Florida's pick and roll or. Florida's transition attack or uh, stuff like that. Um, 10% of Mississippi state's shots come off screens where they set screens for shooters to take shots. And at 10, and that is 10% of their total shots, which is like way, way, way higher than I've, than I've ever seen in my time looking at, at teams doing this. Um, I, I was shocked to see that number, especially because, uh, because Mississippi state's total number of three point attempts is, is, is very low. Um, they are, uh, 338th in the country in, in three point attempts. Um, they take very, very few of them. Um, but when they do, they're like designed three point shots for, for, for those two guards. And, um, again, it's funny that we talk about how like, Oh, now it's like, you know, Florida's getting in some stuff for Noah Locke to Hopefully get some some catch and shoot threes. It's like, well, like go check out Mississippi State's playbook because uh, because they run they run a lot. Uh, n- nothing super complex, but a lot of like screen the screener where they have a little bit out of like the Golden State Warriors playbook where they always have Steph Curry setting a screen uh, for you know a big man cutting towards the rim and then he gets a screen off that and then by the time you've guard guarded the uh, the screen that Steph Curry's set it's it's tough to recover to him as a shooter they, they run some of that stuff and um this will be big for florida's scouting because yeah mississippi state's gonna run some set plays and they're gonna try to get those two guards that you mentioned free for open threes yeah and then the other guard that they've they've kind of added to that rotation is a top 50 player in, in uh davion smith comes from football power uh grayson high school where he was the other wide receiver along with uh, a little it, for the crossover fans listening to our pod which is pretty much our entire fan base uh florida signing dejon reynolds uh wide receiver was was the the high four-star wide receiver that that dan mellon brought in from grayson high well davion smith was the other wide receiver who who also uh starred in basketball for uh for grayson playing both sports so only playing basketball at Miss State and playing about 21 minutes a game as a freshman uh, for Ben Howland. Um, not the, the you know, Howland was bringing in five stars early. He's kind of gone to like the get old, stay old strategy, particularly with his backcourt. And I think it's working. Yeah, I I think that that's generally a good strategy at the, um, especially like as much as, you know, he has, he has recruited quite well at, at times Mississippi State. But um, again, with the way that, uh, the the way that Kentucky's always going to recruit, the way that Tennessee's recruiting now, uh, how LSU has recruited recently, um, and now the, with with Arkansas and, and Alabama recruiting the way they are, I mean, man, if you are Ben Howland or you're at Mississippi State, I think it is probably wise to to try to be one of the older teams in the league. And uh, and and again, like ultimately, this is not uh, this is not a great um, you know a great team, this Mississippi State team. I think they're they're quite good but I, I i would say i look up and down their roster um and i see you know you see a lot of sophomores um they, they do have a couple seniors like jalen johnson and then Ab- abdullah do um that, that that's great but um, but again as much as uh you know i mentioned all those physical front court players um other than a do they're, they're all they're all sophomores um uh, in the backcourt it's sophomores and freshmen and uh, i think too you look at the first game of the season they were kind of just absolutely clamped by clem who you know was a really good team um but then they lost you know I, I think they lost by by double digits to Liberty, if if memory yep. serves, and um, they lost to Dayton. Um, so they 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 took some some tough losses early, which happens with the young team. Looks like they're maybe starting to 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 bring things together, um, especially by 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 beating up beating Missouri pretty well. Um, but yeah, I do I do think this is a young team that's probably like a year away from being. Uh, from being as good as they, they they could really be, maybe maybe two years. Um, but uh, but yeah, right now you you do have some guys that are that are talented, um, athletically gifted, but but a little bit young. Yep, and I think a lot of that youth is is driving Ben Hallen nuts in one of the program staples. Like if you look at their defensive numbers, uh, while they have marvelous shot blockers that that Eric referenced, uh, and they're very good. Uh, at protecting the 10, one thing they've been absolutely abysmal at is defending the three. They're in the 300s uh, in that category. 
uh, on Hooplands 278 uh, at Kim Palm, which I guess bakes in last year's numbers on that number too somehow, maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't know what explains the the small disparity. But either way, it's not pretty. They're having uh, trouble defending the three, uh, which is interesting the way that they defend and, and maybe a little bit about you, Eric. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at their uh, looking at their profile on on synergy, um, watching a bunch of their half court possessions. Uh, again, looking at actually just like this is this is one thing that that kind of points to their defensive struggles. You look at the play types they're giving up, and um, and thirty four percent of the shots against them are are off spot ups. And while a good number of those are are you know three point attempts that have um, a lot of them fallen, um, a, a lot of those are spot ups where guys have then drove and gotten right to the rim. And uh, one thing I think is is curious given all the the size that the Mississippi State has and this has always kind of been the case with with Howland even with big dudes at the four is is he always wants to play man defense and this is a team that's played yep. exclusively man defense and when you've got a you know a real big physical power forward who's on 90% of the teams in the country going to play center um, oftentimes there's going to be a mismatch and and again I look at you know Daruji who I don't think the Gators ever want to be doing too much offensively, but uh, man, I, I think especially with some of these sophomore, um, sophomore, you know, big, I, you know, I call them power forwards. They really are centers that that Howland plays as power forwards, like Javion Davis and and Tolu Smith. Um, uh, Tyree Appleby's got to be able to cook those guys off the dribble. If the, if the ball gets reversed to Dante Deruji and one of those heavy footed, two hundred and fifty pound guys have to close out to him, he's got to be able to explode by them. And and that's something that yeah, when I look at their uh, their half court possessions watching some of the film it's like yeah they just um they just yeah, they struggle uh, again not all their perimeter players are are are, are great defenders I, I i no one really struck me as great no one really struck me as really bad but then man it's just like if, if you ever got either any of those four men in space it was like that that started breaking things down very quickly for for mississippi state yeah it's a great point and you know it's interesting uh you know, Jeremiah Tillman kind of ate them alive, uh, believe it or not. But it was everybody else on on Missouri that that was outclassed in that in that game. Um, so you know, uh, that's interesting to me. PJ Hall dominated them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he did. Uh, <laughs> it's not like the PJ Hall stand mm. podcast. It's just a, I know it's just one of those things. Um, so so you can have some success underneath, but I think Florida's going to have to. They're going to have to hit shots, obviously, to uh, to, to beat Miss State. You got to hit some outside uh, shots, and and to be fair, you know, we mentioned the the rough start that they had, but the only two losses since they they started zero and two were were double overtime uh, defeats, one uh, to Kentucky and the other somewhere else. So um, uh, Dayton, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like they. Yeah, it's been a pretty competitive team since since dropping in those opening two games by uh, double digits. Yeah, I mean, it looked for a little bit that Missouri was going to be really, really good. Um, the 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 metrics and analytics never thought Missouri was anywhere near as good. Like I forget, like I know they were up to thirteen in the AP poll. I forgot if they forgot if yeah. they got any higher than that. And um, you know, they get humbled pretty quick by Tennessee, and then they uh, get humbled pretty quick by by Mississippi State. So so I I guess who we don't really know quite is how good that that 15 point win over Missouri is right now. Uh, but it, you know, if, if nothing else, that's still anytime you can beat a, if nothing else, middle of the pack sec team by 15, that's a, it's a good win. Um, but then, you know, they only beat Vanderbilt by three in a game where they were able to, yep. to outscore them, but they, they allowed Vanderbilt to uh, uh, Vanderbilt to get a lot of points. And again, that's just pretty interesting because that's just not, you know, that's uh, you, you look back. It's funny. You look back at Ben Howland's teams, um, like you said, going back to uh, uh, going back to the UCLA days, a little bit more more defensive minded. But then, yeah, you look at these last couple of years, and they've been this great offensively, not so good defensively. And this looks like a little bit of a little bit of an extreme version. So, uh, I, I think for Florida, once again, I mean, you you know that unless Mississippi State adds something totally new, um, you know, Mississippi State's played 100 percent of their possessions in man defense this year. So Florida should know what to uh, what to expect. Um, uh, this could be a definitely definitely a game for them to to run out a bunch of those a bunch of those set plays that they were that they were running um, against Ole Miss. They they've got the little bit longer time to prep um, coming off the Tuesday game to then play Saturday. You know the team's going to play man to man defense, and uh, yeah, I, I just think this would be another another great opportunity for them to uh, to get into some of those sets. 
Yeah, and I think I'd be remiss that his teams in the Big East when he was winning Big East titles at Pittsburgh were were mm. uh, were pretty dominant defensively too. Halland is a really interesting case study to me because people have strong opinions about Ben Halland. Like they really, they really do. Like, ah, he's not that great a coach. Ah, he's a, my, you know, my my kind of take is like that you you can do nuance, <laughs> mm. and that he's a pretty effective college basketball coach. He's got over five hundred wins. Uh, and again, I mean, this was not an easy job that that Scott Strickland handed him. They had had a lot of of losing seasons in a row when he was hired. It was it was over five. Um, so yeah, six losing seasons in a row when hired. Um, and you know, he had a losing season his first year, but hasn't since. And uh, hey, again, they were going to go to the NCAA tournament last year, and you know, are off to kind of, I think, a surprising start uh, to a lot of people this year. When because, like we said, it's hard. It's hard to replace you know two NBA draft picks anywhere, but very difficult at a place like Mississippi State, which which isn't quite recruiting at the level that, you know, the, the teams that usually have two NBA draft picks uh, are recruiting Eric. So I think a good test for Florida. Um, and, you know, interestingly, a chance for a high tier quadrant victory as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you get, uh, get on the road and, and those, uh, it just, yeah. So it, then the whole net system is just so, so weighted towards, uh, how, how good it is to get wins on the road. So, uh, yep. especially when you see a team that's, uh, uh, shouldn't scare you a ton. I mean, obviously a good club in, in Mississippi state, but, yep. uh, but man, these are, these are where you can kind of game the system. I would say with teams that are like, I, I, I haven't even looked to see where Mississippi state is in the net. Um, you know, they're, they're in the fifties or sorry, they're in the sixties on most, uh, uh, on most of the the predictive metrics, so uh, th- that's where you can really game the system is by beating a team in like the 60s or 70s, um, but on the road. And uh, Florida's going to kind of need a couple of those those resume boosts because, uh, yeah, it looks like Kentucky is going to end up as as being a pretty bad loss. Um, <laughs> Florida State does not look as good as I thought Florida State was. I don't think that loss is ever going to be a bad one. No, um, but much. again. But, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is just, uh, yeah, this is definitely a boost Florida needs to help make up for, uh, what was a rough Kentucky loss. Yeah. And I, it's just a, it's interesting. I mean, Bar Torvik has it as a one point, um, misstate win. Kim Palm has it as a one point Florida win. So I, I feel like it's a toss up game and, you know, we don't know what Scotty Lewis's status is. I think anytime you play a team as big and physical as Mississippi state, you know, you'd love to have, uh, the length and athleticism of a Scotty Lewis. Um, but certainly Mississippi state is a much better defensive basketball team. Uh, or Ole Miss is a much better defensive basketball team than Mississippi state and, and Florida weathered that storm, albeit uh, it took all 40 minutes. Uh, I think it's going to take all 40 minutes for this Florida team all season without Keontae Johnson. And, and you take it game by game, but you'd suddenly be feeling a lot more, uh, confident about Florida if they could grab this win. And I think it's a huge one with uh, Tennessee lurking on the back end. Yeah, it's true. And one thing about it, maybe coming down to the wire, like you insinuated, uh, Mississippi State does play really slow, one of the slowest teams in the country in terms of the tempo they want to play at. Um, Florida played a lot slower these last two games than they started the season at. So um, I, I think this could be one that uh, that stays close because of a, a low possession game. And uh, if it comes down to that, um, who's got the better shot makers? Um, uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I think Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby kind of, and even you know Noah Locke showed showed against Ole Miss their ability as shot makers. Um, you mentioned those guards at Mississippi State, good players, but uh, good good shot makers. But uh, it could very well come down to to one of those guys. And uh, man, uh, I I think Tennessee is 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 very very good. Um, I know that they lost to Alabama, but I thought Alabama played awesome, and Tennessee was still able to hang in with them. And we saw as Gator fans, what Alabama looks like when they're really humming. So, so that's a tough one. And then um, obviously you, you think that um, you think that Georgia Vanderbilt coming up after that, those are some, some, some games that you you'd like to think the Gators have a pretty good opportunity in, but um, the other thing, and I mean, Hey, we, 
not not to be a downer, but you're seeing the NBA is having a real tough time getting games in. And we saw at the start of the college basketball season, it was pretty tough for teams to get games in. And um, I, there could be any time here where, where there's some cancellations or the Gators run into teams on their schedule where the other team can't play. And uh, the Gators definitely don't want to be in a position here where they're floating around 500 and suddenly there's a bunch of games canceled. Or if the wins you thought you were going to get against Georgia and Vanderbilt end up getting canceled for whatever reason, uh, that could put you in a tough spot. So, man, the Gators really just need to get wins um, uh, when they happen. I know that's that also just seems like very lazy analysis to be like, hey, yeah, this th- this game would be better if the Gators won it versus lost it. Um, but yeah, you just you just you just never know these days when when games are going to drop and um, this uh, their success in the SEC is is really going to come down to can they take care of business against teams like Mississippi State. Yeah, no, I think that's that's I mean that part of the analysis. Yeah, look, it's fair analysis, and and the other thing I would say about you know putting scare into people about about Mississippi State's guards is you know at least at present through twelve and now they're playing their thirteenth game while we record, but you know those guys are overperforming a little bit. I mean Iverson Molinar is shooting fifty four percent from three on the season. Okay, so. He shot 37% as a freshman. Maybe he's better than 37, but, you know, I don't think 54% is something that's particularly sustainable. Uh, if it is, get your, get paid, young man. Um, and and then DJ Stewart is shooting uh, uh, 48% from, from three, Eric. So uh, it, he shot 34% for his career at this state. So he's obviously – also overperforming a little bit. Sorry, I said 48. It's 46.9. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, maybe maybe they come back to earth a little bit Saturday. Don't don't hit so many shots. Allow Florida to collapse inside and not get beat up by those bigs. And uh, and you know, if 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 I think Florida can power through and and find a way, and that's kind of been this team's mentality. Uh, find a way, and and certainly. You know, if you're four and two, I don't want to say it's house money because it's a home game against a really good Tennessee team, but it's still a home game. But you feel a little better about about playing Tennessee at four and two than you would at, hey, we just got beat by Miss State, and if we lose this game, all of a sudden we're three and four in the league. <laughs> There's no question. And hey, can we uh, the, the, speak of three point shooting? Um, I don't think we've really uh, talked about much on the podcast the fact that. Florida has been so efficient shooting the three this year and the fact that they're 39% from three and that which is 25th in the country. I mean, if you would have told me that through nine games, Florida was shooting 39% from three, um, I'd be like, I'd probably think I'm like, Oh, do they have one loss only? Are they undefeated? Like I thought I would have thought that that would be a, a recipe for major success. And it's pretty crazy looking at Florida's roster to see like Trey Mann's at 43% and um, Samson Rusensev on small, on small numbers is like 45% and Scotty Lewis is 44% and Noah Locks 42%. Uh, pretty crazy to see, uh, see Florida shooters right now. Yeah, no, it is. And Miss state, by the way, 39% as a team. So uh, shooting really well, we didn't, we, I think we mentioned Jalen Johnson, the grad transfer in, pa- in passing, uh, a guy that, that came to them from a bunch of places, I think. I think he's one of those multi-school guys. But, uh, you know, he's shooting 44% from outside. So they've got a bunch of guys that that are stroking it out there as well. Um, and that, that gives them balance because none of those interior players uh, are huge scorers. Tolu Smith is probably the, the most gifted of them offensively. Um, but, you know it'll be a, it'll be an interesting game it's always a battle when you play state and uh hopefully the gators do remember also having their their pride wounded a little bit after you know, i mean they essentially blew i think a 16 or 17 point lead against miss state last year so uh definitely one of those games that that near prompted an emergency pod so hopefully no emergency pods this weekend and and we all uh enjoy it and come back to to preview tennessee So thanks, everybody, for listening. Listener questions coming up uh, before the Tennessee pod. So I'll put that out there with the show. Good night, everyone.